Let's bow in a word of prayer as we go to the word this morning. Father, we come before you and we submit to you our hearts and our minds, our bodies, everything, Lord, that we might sit before you and be taught and be changed, Lord, that your word and your Holy Spirit might be working together to do in us what we can't do on our own. And Lord, as we go into texts that are ancient, Lord, we pray that we would not look at them as old wisdom that's not relevant anymore or that the story somehow does not impact us thousands of years later, but Lord, that it reminds us of who you are and what you've called us to be as the people of God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would guide my lips this morning, that I'd only speak what you've ordained. Lord, we pray that all of us, as a result, would be called and drawn closer to Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I'm excited about this morning because we're starting something new. On Wednesdays, as a whole church, and on Thursday mornings, there are Bible studies there, We've been going through, we've begun going through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is really great because you've heard about Jesus and all that he did during his life and that he died and resurrected. But then he began by injecting his people with his Holy Spirit, and with life and forgiveness. He created a new people, the people of God called the church. And the word that's used there for church in the Greek literally means those who are called out. They were called out to be his people, called out of the world, called out of sin, called out of death and to be his people where there's holiness, where there's community, where there's life and eternity. And so looking at that on Wednesdays and Thursdays as a whole church, how God started the church, um, a good opportunity for us to to pair it up with an Old Testament book that speaks similarly, similarly uh, about that. But actually, God has this way of, of setting patterns and using those patterns to point forward to what he's going to do. And so we're going to start journeying through the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus. And uh, it applies very applicably to lots of stuff in the New Testament and also to our lives. And so um, if you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of Exodus while you're turning there, I'm going to go back a little bit and do some historical groundwork so we can see to where they got in Exodus. And I'm going to read out of Genesis chapter 15. So God, after he created the world, had created Adam and Eve, they sinned and fell. And so God set about this whole story that we hold in our hands, a redemptive story whereby he was working out a plan. And later on in that story, We have, after the flood, God come to a man named Abram. Now, Abram, at that time, wasn't what you would call a believer. In fact, his family worshipped all kinds of other gods. But the God of the universe came and called Abram. He chose Abraham and said, you, Abraham, I'm choosing you. And I'm forging a relationship with you. And that relationship was called a covenant. He made a covenant with Abraham. And in that covenant, he made many promises. He promised to bless him. He promised to bless others through him, he blessed that uh, he, he promised also that he would have a family that would become a great nation that was too numerous to count. He promised that they would have land. And so he calls Abraham out and sends him on this journey of faith. And the scripture says, as a result of Abraham just believing that he was given righteousness, that he could have this right relationship with God. And so We start there in Exodus because it starts with that man. It starts with the promise that God made to Abram. And I want to read out of of, uh, Genesis chapter 15 concerning some of the things that God had promised and foretold. Listen carefully to some of this. I'll bring it up as we get to Exodus. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. 
after God had put Abram into a deep sleep, he says to him, uh, then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will become sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Behold, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a, a smoking pot of pyre and a, a fire, um, <laughs> smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces uh, of sacrificed animals that had been there. On that day, the Lord made a covenant, a relationship with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites and the Jebusites. That's a lot of sites um, that God had promised. But in that moment, God comes and he makes this covenant relationship with Abram and makes several promises. One was that he was going to have this nation that comes from him, even though Abram and his wife had not been able to have kids yet. And we know the story. Miraculously, Abram has a child, Isaac, or his, his wife bore the child. I don't want to get that wrong. Um, I don't know how that works. I know how that works. But they had this child. Um, and, and Isaac grows up and he has a child uh, named Jacob. And then as Jacob grows up, he ended up having 12 sons. And those 12 sons end up becoming this, this people that find themselves in Egypt. One of the sons, Joseph, rose to power as the second command behind Pharaoh in that place. And things were good for a time there. But God had told Abram, not only is that going to happen, not only are you going to grow into this nation, um, but you're going to go live in this land and those people are going to oppress you. You're going to be in servitude, slavery to those people. But but in the fourth generation, 400 years, I'm going to bring you back to this land. So that promise had been put before the people. So now the family has grown up. They've gone down and they're living in Egypt. And that's kind of where we pick up the story. As they're in Egypt, they begin to incubate and the and the family gets larger and larger and larger. So now back in Exodus, this is Exodus chapter one, verse one. <coughs> it says, these are the names of the son of Israel. That's Jacob who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all of his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. And so God's promise is being fulfilled. They've made it to Egypt, this foreign land. And while they're there, even though the patriarchs, the forerunners had died, this family begins to grow and grow and grow. And they multiplied and became so numerous. They just filled the land. They were everywhere. And for a time, they had uh, a good relationship with Egypt. But as we go on in the scripture, this is what it says in verse eight. Now, there arose a new king over Egypt 
who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, the Egyptians, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they, the Egyptians, set taskmasters over the Israelites to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more the Israelites were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? And let the male children live. And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Can you imagine being an Israelite at that time? You've watched God fulfill the promises. The story has been playing out and your, your family has settled in Egypt and things are going well until the Egyptians look at you and say, you're too many. You might overtake us. And so as a result, you now get to be in a work camp. You no longer get the freedom that you once enjoyed. You no longer get what had been a blessing to you. But now you're in a place of servitude and slavery. And even though they begin to ruthlessly tread down on them the israelites still continue to expand in people and so as the egyptians saw that now they're they're taking it beyond just slavery but pharaoh said for all the boys that are born in order to limit their society and their population all the boys are going to die he told those midwives when you see a baby boy mm -mm, it's done but those midwives that said feared god they said we're not going to kill these children we're going to we would we would rather say that we didn't make it in time to the delivery room than to allow these Hebrew children to be killed. And so they were there in the midst of helping spare the children and God looked favorably upon them and he gave them their own families. And it so irritated Pharaoh. He realized that he could not rely on the Hebrew midwives, uh, midwives. And so what he did was he gave an announcement to all the people of, his, uh, of Egypt, which said this, if you see Hebrew boys being born, you cannot let them live. You, you are to take all these boys and, and remove them from their families and instead inject them, throw them, toss them into the Nile River. 
that they might die. Girls, you can let them live. Boys, no. We, we must cause them to submit. We must remove them. It was a bad situation. And so as the people of Israel, what would you do? It's easy in the midst of those things, even in the landscape of what we have, is to try to get politically involved. Yet the people of Israel are told in the midst of that, the main thing that they're supposed to do is to consider that God already foretold that this was going to happen and in the midst of circumstances to remain true to his promises. To remember to focus that this really is about him. And what sets up for us is this pattern of what happens to the people of God when he pursues them and rescues them. What we're going to see in the book of Exodus is this. Is that God enters into this situation as bad and as horrid as it had got. And he said to them, in order to be freed, you've got to come with me. And I'm going to deliver you to myself. Now, in the passages earlier, it said, hey, when I take you out of Egypt, I'm going to remove you from there and I'm going to bring you to a promised land. It's the land where all these other Hittites and Jebusites and all those other sites lived. I'm going to bring you back to this place. But his intention wasn't that they would be fulfilled by a place. His intention wasn't that they would be fulfilled by how many people they had or or maybe how much they would uh, get out of from underneath of another political oppression. His hope was that they would find their place and worth and redemption in him. The same promise that he made to Abram saying, I'm making a covenant. I'm making a relationship with you. He was calling them into that relationship. He was calling them away from their sin. He was calling them away from slavery. He was calling them away from the shadow of the darkness of death. And he was calling them into his presence. What we're going to find in the book of Exodus is this. Even though we're looking at it, we're like, this is a story of salvation and redemption and out of slavery. And you find everybody in these moments saying, yes, I want to go. Once they get out into the middle of the wilderness and they're confronted with God and who he really is, they actually say, you know what? We'd rather go back to slavery. We're not enjoying this relationship with God. We didn't enjoy how hard it is to be his people and to be in this situation. We, we liked it better when we had the melons and cucumbers back in Egypt. They literally say that. But they don't remember the slavery. They don't remember the fact that their, their boys were being tossed into the Nile River, that, that they were being dismantled as a people and oppressed into a point of them literally dying. And as we said, this was a pattern that was set up. In the New Testament, we have Jesus who went into a place and they too were being oppressed by the Romans. But it wasn't just a, 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 a Roman versus Jewish oppression. It was the fact that religiousness was now re- oppressing people. And Jesus came to people and said, I, I, I would love to deliver you. From the hopes you put, yeah, maybe on political things, but also from the hopes you put on your own ability to be good enough for God. Because the reality is you cannot. And so Jesus, in dying for us, then gives us salvation by grace. It is a gift. 
that whosoever believes in him would not, what? Perish. This time, not be by being thrown into the Nile, but by being thrown into the fiery lake of hell. That we would just believe the same way Abraham would, that we would come into a covenant relationship with God and we would be set free, even if the circumstances around us don't change. And so when Jesus went and he gave that message, it was this message of hope. It was a message of freedom. It was a message of being called out. You remember what the word for called out is? Church. He was calling us to be his body. He was calling us to be the fulfillment of who his people really were. That we would be a people that would say God is our everything and we enjoy him. We want him. We worship him. We come towards him. We draw near to him. We announce him. We proclaim him. We sing about his name. He is everything to us and we would never want to go back. We only want to go towards him wherever he takes us. Whatever comes tomorrow, whatever's going on in politics, whatever's going on at work, whatever's happening in your family, whatever's going on on your schedule, whatever's happening on the ball field, whatever's happening at school, I will press on with Jesus because I have been called out. I meet so many people who are in some really hard situations. Some of you, if you've already shared in the midst of our prayer request time, just really difficult situations that either you or maybe some in your family or in the community is going through. And we look at those and it's really hard. And one of the most difficult things that we must do in our life of faith is to recognize that even in those things, that God has called us not to remain in the fear of those things but to be drawn towards him. Let me give you an example. Sometime back, I talked to a woman who had um, lost a child. Difficult. Some of you have had that same experience or somebody close to you who's died, and it's difficult. Or maybe it's on the verge and it's difficult. And what was sad as I talked to this woman was In the midst of those circumstances, and even though before she had done church and sang to Jesus, she could not give up the prison of the pain. She could not release the slavery of the circumstance and the questions. Did the Israelites ever question, why did it get like this? Why did we have to go through? If we're your people then why are we undergoing slavery? If if we're your people, then God, then why are you allowing our baby boys to be tossed into the river? If we're your people, then why haven't we always been able to have our freedom? We don't have all the answers to that, but what we know is he's the God who's come to rescue. And in the midst of those difficult circumstances, even though there may be death, he has called us not to death and not to the prison... Uh, the prison of sin and not to religiousness. He has called us into freedom. He's calling us out of slavery and he's calling us not to a new and better land and not necessarily to more people who are just like us. He's calling us to himself. And as the church, that same thing happened. In the early church, when people were called out, sometimes they had to leave jobs. Sometimes there was difficult circumstances, much like we're going through. 
But when God called them out, they became a people that, as a result, underwent more persecution and more trials. But you know what those people said? This isn't about us. And even when they got beat, the apostles said, this isn't about us. We we counted all joy that we would suffer for his name because it's all about him. It's all about his name and what he's doing in our community. And so as we've talked about, this sets up his patterns. This happens in Exodus as he calls out his people. We're going to go through that story. It happens in Acts as he calls out his people to be the church. And we're going through that on Wednesdays and Thursdays. I want to invite you out to those times. But do you know that Jesus does things in patterns and that this is going to happen again? You know that it's all too easy for us to say the prayers and and to become believers and then to settle into life and to, 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 to get oriented with this is just how it's going to be. But guess what? Jesus Just like he promised Abram that things are going to happen and this is how it's going to result. Jesus told us one day things are going to change. One day when you see the signs going on all over the world and in the nations and among people, you must begin to recognize that I am coming back soon. And so if if this was happening in Egypt and then it happened in the first century of Palestine, where God was calling out his people out of slavery, out of death, and to himself, guess what's going to happen when Jesus comes back? That's right. He's going to call his people out. Let me read for you out of Revelation chapter 18. In Revelation chapter 18, it's being prophesied concerning Babylon. Now, that's a word used in Revelation for the world system, everything that's not Jesus, everything that's kind of under the dominion of Satan. A lot of things that we as the world, even though it doesn't look beastly, the world loves it. Success, money, trade, goods, everything. That's the worldly system that our fleshly passions go after. It's all called Babylon. And, and in this, it's, it, it, it says that it's just so full of wickedness. But at this point, it says that we are still existing in that system. Not that we're a part of the system, that we're living within it. But then there comes this uh, part in Revelation chapter 18, verse 4. John's just writing what he sees and hears. And he says in Revelation 18, 4, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Did you catch that first part? God's coming in this chapter, and he's going he's gonna to do away with Babylon. Everything that the world loves, and all the goods and pleasures and services that we, even we, sometimes operating when we go to the grocery store, when we turn on Netflix. I mean, the world system is going on. It says that there's going to come a day that God is going to come and judge Babylon. But because he loves you. Because Jesus has been doing a work in you, it says here that in that day, he comes to his people and he's going to he's going to say this. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins and lest you then suffer in her plagues. I don't know about you, but I don't want the plagues. 
sitting here preaching about it and sitting here listening to it as Christians, it seems pretty easy. When he comes calling, I'm going, you know what? The scripture says it's going to be hard. That we as people, because we are so drawn to our flesh and the systems of the world and our desires, we will actually look at the call of God when he says, come out, my people. and We'll look at him and and, and we'll look at our stuff. It's going to be a hard decision. Something similar happened in the Old Testament in, in, in Genesis. Abraham had a relative named Lot. Lot had chosen to go live in a community that was very wicked, very sinful, Sodom and Gomorrah. It had gotten so sinful that God decided to destroy it, to bring judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And so God, by his mercy, goes in to rescue Lot. It's, again, one of those pattern moments where God is taking one of his people and saying, it's time to go. And do you know that when he came and said, hey, it's time to go and get out of this wicked place, even though Lot knew how wicked the place was, knew that he shouldn't be a part of it. It says that they literally had to grab them by the hands, the messengers who had come, and had to escort them out of town. That Lot and his wife weren't willing to get up in that moment when God said, I'm here to rescue and call you out and save you from what's about to happen. And Lot and his wife, the family were like, ah, they hesitated. And they were told, as you leave town, do not look back. Just keep going. And it says that as they're going out of town, they had to be taken by the hand. As they're going out of town, they're walking out of town. Lot and them are going on. But guess what Lot's wife did? She turned around and she looked back. Why did she look back? Just to see the destruction? You know why I think she looked back? She had desire for what was back there. I don't know if she had left her china behind, her jewels, all the memories. Maybe maybe on the the doorframe at their house with all their kids, they had kept track of how tall they were. And there was just that's where the family grew up. Maybe they had shared many a great holiday meals around their table and she could just think back to those. You know, they didn't have cameras, but those pictures in her mind of how awesome that was to be celebrating Maybe she liked her job. Maybe there were painful memories. Maybe the place where her mom was buried. Where she could go back and look at the tombstone. We're not told exactly what it is, but we know that when she was called out. That instead of going all the way, she looked back. The scripture says that as a result, she never made it but rather was turned into a pillar of salt. She was never fully rescued. And so when Jesus has called out his people, the church, and then in the scriptures, he's given them warning concerning the day that's coming. When he says, I'm going to come back for my people, watch for the signs because I'm going to come back. You know what story he brings up? Lot's wife. He says, don't be like Lot's wife who when called out, looked back. Just like the people of Israel, when they get called out, later on we'll find they looked back. And in the scriptures, like in the book of Galatians, it says this. It is for freedom that we have been set free. 
Why would we look back? This is going to be a great book for us. The scripture says these stories have served as examples so that we don't make those same mistakes. And for each of us, that mistake might look different. But for those of you who call upon the name of the Lord, you look back to that moment when you said, God saved me. I want to I want to believe and I don't want to perish. I want to believe. And now you've struck off in this relationship. And the temptation is to say at some point in your life, like the Israelites did, like Lot's wife did, like people at the end of time will do. I'm not ready to go forward. I want to go back to my prison. Let us be reminded that that place of prison causes hardship, death, pain. Maybe not even to just us, but remember, they were tossing their kids in the river. It might affect those around us. I don't know what you bring this morning. Maybe it's that thing that you say, I can't let go of this thing. And it's become kind of a bound up prison for you. And it may be a hard situation. It's there. It's right there. There's no getting around it. But might the Lord for you this morning call you out of that? What freedom that would be to just be able to say, Lord, I trust you. And I'm going to be with you here in this. I'm not going to allow that to be my God, that fear to be my God, that sin to be my God, that laziness to be my God, that religiousness to be my God, just you. I want to, I want to go on. I want to be delivered to you, God. And so as we close today and we take an opportunity to sing and you might have something to put before the Lord and say, Lord, would you please have this? I'm offering it to you. Help me to escape to you. Help me to walk with you. Help me to stay with you. And these things that we do now, it's all in preparation for that day when he's coming. And he's going to call us home. Will we be like Lot's wife? Will we be like that Israelite generation that looked back? Or now and forever, we're going to be the people that press on towards him and trust him. This morning, press on and trust the Lord. Let's stand together and sing um, this last song. And I don't think this is one that much anybody knows in here. And so you are welcome just to stand and listen to me sing for a moment. If you want to join in, you can. But as we stand together, I just want you to consider the words of these song, this song. It's a song about humility. It's a song about coming and saying, Jesus, please look at me. I, help me to lay down my life and recognize that you're God and I'm, I'm being brought low. And so here's my whole life just to sing to you. I remember the first couple times I heard this song. I, I didn't want to sing it because it, I was learning a song. I'm not very good at singing when I'm learning a song. Um, but it became a really dear song to me as the the song leader continued to sing it. Just of one that reminds me to submit, reminds me to trust him and calls me to Jesus.